So you think you know everything you need to know about weight loss, don't you? You think you actually need to lose weight. You need to burn more fat or have a higher metabolism. It's not that easy. And you'll be surprised that you may not have to lose weight after all. Let's go. Welcome to the Dr. Geo Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Geo, where it is my goal to share with you all my clinical research, my findings, and my scientific research so that you can improve your urological function and live better with age. Today, we're going to talk about being overweight or being obese and what does that really mean and how does it have an impact in your health, if at all. If at all, what do you mean if at all, Dr. Gio? Once you're obese or overweight, you're done. All the studies show everything I hear on the internet, everything I see on the internet, everything I hear in news is that if you're overweight, you're going to die. And the reason why we're doing so poorly with COVID is because we're overweight. What do you mean if? I got a surprise for you. So I think a lot of what you're going to listen to, what you're going to hear today is going to be a little bit different than what you've heard elsewhere as it relates to being overweight, obese, and its relationship to your health and longevity. <laughs> All right, so let's break this down a little bit. Let's get right to it. What is the definition of obesity? Well, the definition of obesity is referred to is measured by body mass index, a calculation that divides your height with your weight. And typically, a BMI, which is called a BMI, right? Body mass index. So a BMI over 30 is considered obese, and a BMI over 25 is considered overweight. So a lot of studies, and, and BMI is a problem within itself because one can have a high BMI and be in great shape and have no risk of premature mortality or health problems. Actually, one can have a low BMI and be at risk of a lot of health problems. So BMI in it by itself is a problematic tool to use. When you're looking at millions of people, it's an easy tool to use because you can say, well, higher BMI is associated with higher risk of prostate cancer. It's associated with higher risk of advanced prostate cancer. Looking at a large group, it's easy to use as a calculation. doesn't cost any money. It's inexpensive. So it's a good tool. Actually, it's a decent tool when you're looking at a large group of people. But when you have a patient in your clinic or you are the patient in the clinic, it is a very poor tool to you. So when they give you a BMI at your next doctor's visit, you can pretty much ignore it. In fact, studies have shown the following that if your BMI is too low, you are actually at a higher risk of premature mortality from many things. So BMI, as it relates to mortality, is a U-shaped curve when you look at a graph in, in studies. That means what? That means that if the BMI is, let's just say, less than 18.5, you're at a higher risk of dying from all cause of health problems. 
If you are over BMI of about 35, you're also at risk. So somewhere between 18.5 and 35, remember what I said, obesity, according to BMI, is anything higher than 30. So even some obese people are actually healthy people. You and I know these people. You and I know people that are look overweight or maybe obese, but are very functional. They move around well. You can even play a little pickup game of basketball and they do pretty well, right? So BMI between 18.5 and 35 is actually, there's a lower risk of mortality. So what's the deal with that? How come? What's happening there? So a better tool to use in a clinical setting is waist to hip ratio. I'll tell you this, the skinny fat people really concern me, skinny fat. What is that? These are the people that you go to a party (laughs) and you hate them because they eat like crazy and they look slim. And they certainly look slim with their clothes on. Right. And they eat and eat and they don't gain an ounce. It's like, God, you can eat whatever you want. You don't gain weight. Right. Meanwhile, the rest of us (laughs) look at food and will gain weight. So many of those people are skinny fat, meaning that if they do a body composition test, whether it's a bioimpedance test or anything more fancy like a DEXA test where you measure body fat, they're actually their body fat is 25, 30%, right? But you would never know because they look skinny. And if you measure your level of health only subjectively, Looking at your scale, whether you weigh, you know, 150 pounds and you're like 5'8", 5'9", 5'10", and that's the only way you measure your overall health, you're in trouble because you could be skinny fat. And what I've seen clinically is that people that are skinny fat are in bad shape when you take their cholesterol level and your blood sugar levels and insulin levels. They have metabolic disease. So skinny fats, be careful. And then the skinny fat guy who has a big belly that guy is in bad shape. So going back to waist to hip ratio, that is a much better tool. If you take a measuring tape, and there are good ones on Amazon, so just go to Amazon, get a measuring tape, and then you measure your waist right around the belly button area, and you measure your hips right above the base of your penis, if you're a male, of course, the appropriate ratio is about 0.9 or less. 0.9 or less. So that means let's just say that you can have a waist size around your belly button about 34, and your hip size should be about 35, 36 inches. Essentially, have your hips be bigger than your waist. That's a much better tool. And one study out of China showed that men who've had a waist size higher than 33.5 inches had a higher risk of prostate cancer. And you would say, holy shoot, I'm in trouble because (laughs) my waist size is way above 33 inches. Now, that's a Chinese study and most Chinese people are have a slim waist. Everybody has a different body type, right? So Americans versus some Europeans versus Caribbean, it's just a different body type. And some people are just thicker with broader shoulders. If you want to do a quick test that you can do right now, just listening to me, right? Unless you're driving, you don't, don't, don't do this if you're driving. 
So take your right, let's just say your right hand, and wrap that right hand around your left wrist or your left hand around your right wrist. It doesn't really matter. And try to touch your thumb with your middle finger. That will give you your body type. There's three different body types. There is the ectomorph. That's the guy that eats whatever he wants and stays slim. There's the other side of that, the big guy who's always been big. He's always been the chubby guy in a classroom ever since first grade. And that's the guy that can't close. That's a guy that's called an endomorph. And then you have the guy in the middle, which he's not skinny. He's not really fat, but he's kind of husky with very broad shoulders, broad chest. And that's a mesomorph. So you have an ectomorph, mesomorph, and endomorph, the big guy at the other end. If you know American football at all, most linemen, not most, all linemen are endomorphs. And if you, again, if you know, just to stick with the sport, if you look at American football, the wide receivers are more likely to be ectomorph. They're skinny, long, and lanky. And then maybe a linebacker and a fullback, those are mesomorphs. Again, you, you'd have to know the sport to know what I'm talking about. Rugby, a lot of those guys are either mesomorphs or endomorphs. Sometimes you see a couple of ectomorphs that are just really fast, but oftentimes you see guys with big thighs and big necks. And they're either mesomorphs or endomorphs, right? When you wrap your hand around either wrist, if your thumb overlaps your middle finger about by a nail or so, you're an ectomorph, right? So if your thumb wraps around your middle finger, you're an ectomorph. If your thumb and middle finger cannot touch, you are an endomorph. You're a big guy. So you're never going to be skinny, regardless of you're going to be 5'8", 5'9", 5'10", and weigh you know over 220 pounds. If you're 5'8", you probably weigh around 200 pounds, and you've weighed that much for a while. If your fingers just touch or you have to squeeze a little bit just to touch, you are a mesomorph. You probably have broad shoulders. Okay, so there's three different body types. So BMI does not apply. As an example, my BMI is 31. I would be obese. I would be obese under that measurement. Um, but, you know, I am a mesomorph. Um, sometimes people are a combination of two. I'm probably more mesomorph towards endomorph. Uh, for my middle finger and thumb to touch, I have to kind of squeeze a little bit around my wrist. If you are an endomorph, purely, you can squeeze all you want. The middle finger is not going to touch your, your thumb. Okay. So that's, I'm bringing all that into context as we talk about weight loss and longevity. So, okay. So studies show that if you're between a BMI of 18 to 35, that's actually good. And you don't, you know, you don't, have a higher risk of mortality. When you are above 35, you do. And that's likely because most people who have a BMI higher than 35 have a big waist, regardless of the body, your body type, right? So if you are, let's just say, if you are a 
endomorph. So that's the big guy lineman on a football team that can't touch their middle finger with their thumb when you wrap it around the wrist. You still should have your waist be smaller than your hips. So I find that waist to hip ratio to be a much better predictor of longevity and its association to certain diseases like prostate cancer. The bottom line is have your waist size be smaller than your hips. Because it turns out the following, and uh, some recent research from Duke, can't remember the author's name, but great research showed that you really cannot burn more than about 3,000 to 4,000 calories a day, despite what you do. So you know what I'm talking about. You try for the marathon and you're running 30 miles, 40 miles a week training for this marathon and you do the marathon and you lost five pounds and you can't believe it and you hate it. And that's because you still, it doesn't matter how much activity you do, you're still going to only burn 3,000 to 4,000 calories a day. What? Doesn't matter what I, yep, it doesn't matter what you do. But what if I run a triathlon? It doesn't matter. You're still going to only burn 3,000 to 4,000 calories a day. And that, if you ever heard the line that you cannot outrun or out-exercise a bad diet, that's what that's all about. You really can't. I mean, <laughs> you, you know, you've been on that treadmill. You know what I'm talking about. You've been on that treadmill for 30 minutes, 60 minutes sweating, and you're working, and man, you're running, and you're doing sprints, and you're jogging on that treadmill. How many calories did you burn? 400, maybe? That's if you were there for like an hour. (laughs) And I don't even think these machines are that accurate in measuring the amount of calories that you burn. I would say that it's still maybe 10, 20% less than what you see on there uh, on the machine. Okay. You cannot out, out exercise a bad diet for proper weight loss. And I argue that is not weight loss that you're after. You're after waste loss. And I'm not saying you need to have a six pack. I'm not saying those, you know, the love handles need to go away completely. You know what I'm talking about? The little side flab that, by the way, I have them too. You don't have to get rid of those unless you want to. But that would be for aesthetic purposes. What you do have to do is reduce the overall circumference of your waist measured with a measuring tape around your belly button in comparison to your hips. And that waist to hip ratio or just having a big belly versus having a you know adequate size belly is associated with what's called visceral fat. Visceral fat is the fat around your organs. And there's also periprostatic fat. That's the fat around your prostate. And that's been associated with a more advanced prostate cancer. So I think, and I haven't seen the evidence of this yet. I know that there's evidence that the bigger the waist, the more visceral fat there is. Again, that's the fat around your organs. And that's why that's important to keep your belly weight low. So there's two types of fat in the body, right? There's the subcutaneous fat, and that's the fat that is under your skin. And then there's the visceral fat, and that's the fat around your organs. The dangerous type of fat is the fat around your organs. So, so far, in summary, 
you don't really have to lose weight. In fact, some studies, even as it relates to prostate cancer, show that some people, it's called the obesity paradox. Some guys who are a little bit heftier actually do better from a longevity perspective and not succumbing to prostate cancer. So not all big guys do poorly. Now, I'll say this. PSA tends to run low or lower in bigger men. Okay? So PSA tends to run low. And when you get a PSA and if your BMI, let's just go with BMI for a second. You already know that BMI is not the best tool to use. And you know that waist to hip ratio is better. But let's just go with BMI for a second. If your BMI is about 30 or 35 and you get a PSA test and that PSA comes back low, let's just say you're a 55-year-old male and you have a BMI of 35, which again, above 30 is already obese. And that PSA is a three, 3.5. I would double that number almost like if you are on a five alpha reductase inhibitor. That's the drug, right? That's used for the prostate, finasteride, dutasteride, that falsely lowers that number, lowers the PSA. When you have a lot of body fat or obese, you should also reduce that number by about 50%. Now, if you are an obese man on a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor, then your PSA could be really low and still harbor not only prostate cancer, but advanced prostate cancer, Gleason 8 or Gleason 9. I'll repeat that. If you are an obese man, and even an overweight man, let's just say BMI uh, above 25, 30, 35, and you're also on a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor, that PSA, when you get a PSA, will be really low, and it could be really low in a false manner where you can probably be harboring ad- not only prostate cancer, low-grade or intermediate-grade, but advanced prostate cancer in that scenario, okay? So the takeaway, lose some waist size. Some body weight is okay. Actually, some body weight is favorable. Particularly, of course, if you work out, which is what I would recommend, and if you do strength training. In fact, studies show that obese people who eat healthy and exercise have a lower risk of premature mortality. Okay, so living a healthy lifestyle, even if you are overweight or even slightly obese, again, this is all part of the obesity paradox, you can uh, live longer and even better. And that goes back to the point of the fact that you can only burn about 3,000 to 4,000 calories a day because what the body tries to do evolutionarily is two things. Keep you alive so that we can reproduce. That's the evolutionary reason for that. So a 1,000 years ago, if your BMI, again, we're just keeping the language simple, was, I don't know, 30, 35. And there was a fasting scenario where there was just no food, so you had to fast for days, then you had a lot of stored energy in fat to burn, so you would not die. The skinny person with a BMI lower than 20 wouldn't probably not do well in that scenario. So if you are one of those overweight people that looked at skinny people and get jealous, (laughs) and you kind of, those are the people you love to hate, don't, because actually, It's 
a good thing to have some body weight. Okay. And of course, it has to be appropriate to your body type, ectomorph, mesomorph, and endomorph. Okay. But it's it's okay. Be happy, be happy with your body if you're one of those people that have had a hard time losing weight. You want to be careful. Yes. You don't want to have a BMI much higher than 30. Most importantly, bring the waist down. Bring the waist down. That's the most important thing you can do. Why? Because a bigger waist is associated with a more visceral fat. And visceral fat leads to a lot of metabolic changes in the body that leads to cancer, heart disease, strokes, and all kinds of things that would impede your longevity. Here's another thing. Let me give you another suggestion. When you weigh yourself, right? So yes, if you go on a scale and you weigh yourself, it's not the best indicator of how things are going, particularly if you're actually exercising because now you stimulate more muscle so the scale can be deceiving. That's why I don't really love the scale too much, but it is something that you can quantify and it does tell you if you're going in the right direction or not. So the scale is a little deceiving. However, it serves a, a decent purpose and it's easy. You just have it you know, in your bathroom and you just get on it. The best way to use the scale is only in the mornings, after waking up, and after pooping and urinating, so defecation and urination, and then you weigh yourself not once, but every day for one or two weeks, and you get an average of that weight, and that's your appropriate weight. Why? Because there are many things where you keep weight, whether it's fecal matter in the body or urine or just energy, food that you have consumed and not completely digested. If you notice boxers and combat sport fighters, they can gain 10, 15 pounds within one or two days, right? So, so can we, and we do lose and gain three to five pounds every single day of our lives. So the best way to really know your weight every morning after defecating and urinating, take your weight for one to two weeks and then take an average of that. And that's, that's your weight for that period of time. All right. All right, Dr. Gio, how can I increase my metabolism so I could burn more fat? There is no way to increase your metabolism to burn more fat uh, because you can only burn three to 4,000 calories a day. That makes no sense. Well, that's what it is. Here's how it works. The way your body uses up energy, in our case, I'm going to keep the language really simple. The way your body burns calories, right? That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to burn calories is several ways. One is through BMR, basal metabolic rate. That is when you are sleeping, how much calories do you burn at that situation? When you are sleeping and not moving, it turns out that about 50 to 60% or more of the calories you burn is during that time. So your BMR, basal metabolic rate, is about 60%. So you burn most of your calories when you are still. The other component is when you're moving, when you're exercising. There are two more parts, actually. Fidgeting <laughs> seems to, or just constant, like these little moves that we do, whether it's tapping or fidgeting our legs or 
things like that, that actually burns calories as well. It's not something that I'm suggesting that you do um, if you don't do it naturally. But if you notice, fidgeters are typically thinner people, if you've noticed. Non-fidgeters are typically bigger people. And that's uh, maybe another 10%, maybe. And there's something called uh, the thermogenic effect of food. So when you eat food and your body uses up the calories from that food, that takes up energy as well. And that's about 5 to 10%, right? So then, wait a minute, I don't understand. So if I exercise for 10 hours straight, I'm burning more calories. No, I would. So it wouldn't be 300 calories. It would be 3000 calories. Yes, but then your body will slow down its energy use in some other area, right? So the BMR, right? So this is, again, this is the calories that you burn when you are sleeping or still. In that scenario, your body's really working. When you're sleeping, your body's working hard. Your brain is creating new chemicals. Your body's creating testosterone and other chemicals, immune system, creating different proteins. Your body, your heart is pumping. Your body is working and working hard when you're sleeping. And so then if you are training 10 hours a day, let's say, then now the BMR will decrease. And so you're not making something. Marathon runners and endurance athletes tend to have low testosterone level. Why? Because two things. The body can't make testosterone because it needs to lower its, its BMR, right? Because all that energy was consumed in the run. That's number one. Number two is higher cortisol tends to lower testosterone levels. And since endurance activity is a stressor to the body, more stress, more cortisol, that decreases testosterone. Oh, Dr. Gio, so then why am I going to exercise? <laughs> Thank God. Oh, you you answered my question. I hate exercising anyway. So that's it. I don't have to do it. Thank you. No, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> don't even try. Don't even go there. Don't try that. That's not what I said. Exercise is absolutely essential for your longevity and to reduce the, your risk of, of all-cause mortality and to keep strong and live longer and better. No question about it. To reduce the risk of cancer, to reduce the risk of uh, of prostate cancer recurrence, to reduce the risk of dying from prostate cancer and all cancers, exercise is important. To keep your weight down, exercise is important. Well, Dr. G, you said exercise doesn't matter as a, as a release of weight loss. I didn't say that. I said that exercise in it by itself will not help you lose weight. But once you have the weight loss already, it will help you keep the weight loss. So exercise is medicine. It's something that you should do daily without fail. And it's very important for your longevity. But as it relates to weight, it will not help you lose weight much, um, but it will help you keep the weight uh, off once you have it off. All right. So the zillion dollar question, how do I lose weight? Look, unless your BMI is crazy high, you know, in the 40s, we're not as interested in losing weight, though if your BMI is high, it's nice to lose weight, but we're interested in losing waste size for most of us. Again, if you're if you're very morbidly obese, 
then yes, weight loss is essential. If you weigh 400 pounds and you are, you know, six feet tall or less, then that, you know, you need to lose weight, period, end of story. But for the rest of us who are either overweight or mildly obese, it's not about losing weight, particularly if you are an endomorph or even a mesomorph. It's not about losing weight, it's about losing waist size. Okay. How do you do that? Well, that's a different podcast, but clearly the dietary approach is what it is, right? So it's all about consumption of energy, consumption of calories. So you have to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight, period. So how I tend to do that and how I recommend clinically is several ways. And, and again, there's many diets out there and there's ketogenic diet and high fat diet and I'll break that down in a second, but I think the best way is something like a fasting mimicking diet, which you can look up by uh, a Prolon FMD. Excellent, excellent method to lose weight. You can also look on on drgeo.com and you'll see um, information on FMD. Excellent is a it's, it's scientifically proven to really kind of reset the metabolism, and you'll lose weight. I've lost. Um, uh, through FMD. And again, I'm, I am a mesomorph endomorph. So if I'm not careful, I can gain weight very easily. And of course, during the pandemic, I gained uh, some weight. Uh, I went up as far as 232. I exercised. So for my body type, 232 at 5'10 wasn't too bad. But yeah, once I hit over 230, that was not good. I'm, I'm good at around 220. And that's where my waist size is appropriate in comparison to my hips. Um, so I lost all that weight and kept it off, uh, thank God, primarily by doing the fasting mimicking diet. And then, so once you do something like that, where each day the calorie count is about 1,000 calories to 800 calories a day, is great. So, so it mimics fasting, and fasting is a good thing, as you know, or you may not know, but it is a good thing. It has many other benefits. After that, then you want to do intermittent fasting. I find that intermittent fasting works very well because if you do that, your calorie count is going to be low automatically. So what's intermittent fasting? Well, intermittent fasting is a 16-8 approach, more or less, 14-10, where you don't eat any solid foods, any macronutrients. So you don't eat any protein, carbohydrates, or fats for about a 14 to 16-hour period. And you have your meals within an 8 to 10-hour period. I just find that that's a doable thing to do. Other people just do calorie restriction, which it has the same end result. It just is keeping the calorie count low. But I just don't, as a Cuban guy, I, I like to eat. So I can't have these little meals throughout the day and just restrict my calories throughout the day. And I think there's metabolic benefits of fasting. So I'd rather not eat for 16 hours and have two meals of whatever I want, typically healthy meals. But even if you are not quite sure what healthy means and or you, you still have some food addiction, no problem. Have two meals a day and almost whatever you want and then do better with your nutrition because it is important and it is good to eat well and some, something like a plant-based diet, uh, Mediterranean diet, DASH diet. Combine them all. Those are all great diets, but only within eight to 10 hour period and no more than two meals a day and no snacking. 
That's how you do that. And if when you exercise, you exercise on a fasted state. Okay. So in the morning, that pre-workout, you don't need to pre-workout anything. Just drink water, good water, maybe with some electrolytes so you don't pass out if it's too hot and go work out and you'll lose the weight. And not only the weight, you'll lose the waste. The other thing is that if you only have 10 minutes, do interval training. So that means you go fast on any activity. Let's say you get on a treadmill, you sort of sprint on a treadmill for, you know, 30 seconds to 60 seconds, and then you walk for two minutes and you do that for 10 minutes. That also helps with waste loss. And of course, strength training, which I think is the absolute best type of training. There are times where if I have 10 minutes, I'll just do a kettlebell workout, kettlebell swings and lifts and things like that. You can look up, there's great videos on YouTube on kettlebell training and kettlebell swings. All right. So what we try to do is kind of demystify weight loss we want to make sure that you understand that maybe it's not too important. I know I had a patient today. Well, you know, I'm 205 at 511. I, I'm five pounds overweight. I know it. I want to lose those five pounds. Bro, go right ahead if you want to, but you don't have to. That's time and your waist to hip ratio is perfect. Just keep working out. Keep exercising with some intensity. And and keep your diet and take the nutraceuticals that we, we talk about, and, and that's it. So you don't want to overdo it. You want to kind of measure your body type. And again, one easy way to measure is just wrapping your hands around your, your wrist and see where you fall. And then take it from there. If you're an endomorph, you shouldn't lose that much weight unless you're really morbidly obese with a BMI over 32, 33, 35. But eat healthy do intermittent fasting, and exercise. Those are, those are the big three. All right. I hope that today's podcast helped you understand how weight loss works, how BMI works, waist-to-hip ratio, metabolism, and how you can live your best life as you age. This is Dr. Gio signing off. I'll talk to you next time. Have a good one. Much love. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Dr. Geo podcast. You can watch all episodes of this podcast and much more by subscribing to my YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash Geo Espinoza ND. If you love what you heard today, you can help by leaving a five star review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify as each review helps us reach more men who are serious about improving their urological health and how to function better with age. And for the latest research and actionable takeaways in a world of men's health and integrative urology, sign up for my newsletter at drgeo.com. I'll see you next time. And now for a brief disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and we're not forming a doctor-patient relationship through this medium. The use of the information and all links associated with this podcast is at the listener's risk and is not to replace medical advice from a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Lastly, thoughts and opinions related to this podcast are my own and may not reflect the views of any institution or organization I'm associated with.